So I'm just talking to you. All right, dear. Hello, I'm Nana. And if you enjoy listening to my sweethearts talk on this show, maybe tell a friend of yours. And maybe they can enjoy it, too. And if you would like to see this little show go a little bit further, maybe check out the Darlings Buy Me a Coffee account. All right. Okay, honey, you can go ahead with your flashlight thing now. Ladies, gentlemen, please take your seats. The spotlight is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. I'm Mystery Matt, and you're listening to the Mystery Matt Spotlight Podcast. This evening, we've got a treat for you guys. We are covering the Night Stalker. If you're not familiar with it, well, sit back. You will be by the end of this. And just like before, if I haven't said it yet, if this kind of thing ain't your bag, baby, we'll see you next week with a new podcast. Or we might be doing a part two for this. You never know. Probably a part two. We'll, We'll hope for a part two. So tonight I am joined by Sarah and Colleen. Say hi, Colleen. Hello, hello. Say hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. And also, we have a, a little special guest in house. His name is Tuesday, and he's Colleen's new poodle, her new service doggy. And, and you won't hear a peep from him. Cause and because he's, he's super freaking chill. He's freaking precious. Right, bud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go. So it was 1984, and there were no cell phones or social media. Media, blah, blah. You, you know that stuff that yeah. people are on with the Facebook and the UBD tubes and stuff. <laughs> uh, you played freely in the streets all day long until the lights came on at night. And usually if the lights came on at night, you were actually kind of late, so you better hustle. Uh, we rented movies. We didn't have streaming services. Uh, if you didn't have your tape back in two days, you were in crap, guys. Be kind, please rewind. Yeah, be kind, please rewind. <laughs> Do you remember when they were so strict about it that there was actually like a um, uh, a fine for not rewinding? Yeah, I do. Yeah, Adam worked at Jumbo Video. We had a separate device that was, it was shaped like a little Corvette. And I know those. You put the yeah. tape in it to rewind it. That way it didn't like leg down your VCR. Oh, I got a good one for you. So my yeah. grandparents didn't get a VCR until like the mid 90s. Oh my God. Right? And my grandmother, welcome to Hamilton, people, if you hear those sirens in the background. Odd. We're doing true crime. Anyways, my grandmother would, at the end of the movie, instead of turning it off and hitting stop and rewinding, she would rewind it while the movie... Oh, my Lord. Because <laughs> she oh didn't know. Lord. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> she didn't know. That's brutal. I know. Finally, we were like, what are you doing? She's like, she... I have to rewind the movie. I'm like, Grandma, you have to hit stop first, then hit rewind. It'll go a lot faster, too. And she did. And she's like, wow, that was nifty. Cause she... That's like three years after they got the freaking VCR. Do you know how destroyed her player head would have been? Oh, it would have been horrible. Oh, oh, yeah. It's a good thing they didn't rent a lot of movies. Yeah. So we also didn't have MP3s for music. We had cassettes. We had vinyls. We had eight tracks. That kind of thing, you know? Our fashion was questionable, mind you. Uh, Punk music was on the rise. Hair metal. Getting big. All of it. Uh, Wasn't uh, Guns N' Roses getting huge? You're talking Guns N' Roses, Metallica, Slayer, um, Megadeth, um, ACDC, 
Aerosmith even was classified as air, air or hair band as well. Poison. <clears throat> Poison. Poison. Yeah. yeah. Bon Jovi was a hair band. Bon Jovi, yes. Maybe not into not, the heavy, yeah. heavy metal, but they were considered a hair band. Colleen, you need a microphone. Calm down. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, movies back then were originals. They were not crappy remakes or reboots or sequels or anything else like that. They were like, hey, we have a new movie. We're going to play it. If it does good, we'll give you another one kind of deal, And the right? sequels that they did do weren't shit. They were original ideas. They weren't just, you know, take Back to the Future, Back to the Future 2. Same concept, different storyline, but it work because it was a continuous story from the first one and same when you went into the third back of the future right movies yeah. were great back then oh movies were sick Nightmare on elm street they had that whole series that was awesome uh 80s were, terminator terminator, terminator the 2 the 80s were awesome robocop mm, that one's questionable ghostbusters yep yep ninja turtles ninja turtles a lot of good things came out in 1984, including yours truly. Yes, Mystery Matt was in 1984's baby. And the Transformers. Oh, yeah. Came out in 84. <laughs> he man. I'm the masters of the universe. <clears throat> All came out in 84. And did you know that the longest running Major League Baseball game happened in 1984? It went for 25 innings between the Bruins. Brewers. Brewers. uh, Milwaukee Brewers. And the White Sox. Uh, Yeah, battled it out. Seven to six. For the Brewers. Ronald Reagan was president. I am not a crook. No, that was um, Nixon. That was Nixon, sorry. Yeah, Reagan. What did Reagan do? He was an actor. Oh. Yeah. Right arm. <laughs> well, if Schwarzenegger can do it, is he? But he was, yeah. He, he, he was in politics anyways. He didn't become like a president or anything. Uh, HIV was really a thing that. It was identified. It was identified and uh, people started to be aware of it and very, very sad and tragic times indeed. Uh, Michael Jackson's hair caught on fire. You know, um, that, if I'm not mistaken, was a Pepsi commercial. Yes, I believe so. Where fireworks went off, and because of the amount of product in Michael's hair at the time, and I think it was misaimed, he got hit with it and whoosh. Like, like (laughs) it was crazy. Like, hairspray in the 80s, was really bad for the ozone layer. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> we don't even talk about the ozone layer anymore, did we? Do we? No, not... it's all about climate control and climate change now. Oh, so we just changed the thing that we're afraid of now. Yeah. Well, not really, because the ozone layer is part of the whole climate control. Well, thing. yeah. But we don't hear the massive amounts that we used to hear about ozone because I remember, like, ah, shoot, you, you. You'd do the hairspray, like your 80s hair. It was so you'd, big. You'd use a can to go out on a Friday or a Saturday night. Like, yeah, I was just Kathy. a kid, but I, <laughs> I remember my sister doing it. Oh, and I'm sorry. I don't know if you're going to mention. The really tight, skinny jeans came in. 
So, and I'm sorry for for divulging this, Kathy. I apologize, but I remember. She does not apologize. I remember watching my sister lay on her bed and like pull up these jeans, which were painted Didn't she use on a coat hanger. She to used pull up a coat zipper? hanger because these jeans you'd buy them like five sizes too small. They were so tight you could not breathe, but it was what you did. Yep. Yeah, I remember watching her pull her up her jeans with a coat hanger. <laughs> I remember you telling me that story. Oh, my neck just cracked. That usually doesn't happen. Well, that could lead into this next paragraph. Yeah. Because in California, crack cocaine showed up in Los Angeles. Les- legendary uh, musician Marvin Gaye was shot and killed by his own father in West Adams neighborhood of L.A., Yep. Brutal. Brutal times. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 80s was also big on trying to move for even more equality with the black community. If I if I'm not mistaken, like yeah. I I was I I was just hatched right, so I'm just coming into this world trying to figure out what the heck's going on At this with these point, people. I was but only four and Colleen was only six, so yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I I didn't understand the hate. You know what I mean? Like I, I still just don't. I still don't. Yeah, yeah of course not. Don't. It's ridiculous. Do you know how many scientists are black? Did you know that the very first physical video game console was actually Patent by a black man. Because I was going to say that the color was black. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just wasn't sure where you were going with that. No. the, the uh, One of the uh, like very, very original patents for a, a home video game system with cartridges was made by a black man. The one I always remember was that blood plasma. The idea of transfusing just plasma, non-type plasma in emergency situations, which was desperately needed in war zones and that, that was developed by a black man who then later died because he went to a hospital. He needed a blood transfusion and they wouldn't treat him. Yep. And, but he was the one who developed non-type plasma transfusions, like saved millions of lives and he wouldn't be treated. But yeah, the eighties were, there was a big push for equality again and visual equality. Uh, it seems like they push that every, each decade does try to push that more and more. And they should. And they should, exactly. Yeah. Um, the 80s was also in the US, just for interest, um, was when people with disabilities got their first rights. Um, they were introduced in the late 70s, but they didn't get put into law until the the early mid 80s but they didn't get the ada act until the early 90s canada had ours from the 70s so yay canada well canada eh? ah then we get into the nationwide satanic panic which kind of went rampant uh everybody was afraid of cults and other such things of that nature we're going to touch uh, on cults and satanic panic in another podcast in the future when we go down the rabbit hole of the West Memphis Three. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. there's there's a lot of cults to cover, so well, if you're well, interested, yeah. we might be going down that hole. That that'll hit that'll hit your list probably. Yeah. Um, where am I here? <clears throat> preschool teachers. Ah, preschool teachers were accused of engaging in satanic rituals uh, and behaviors, including child abuse but this isn't 
or but this is its own podcast. But it would be its own podcast once once you like you just said, right? Yeah, satanic getting into panic, satanic yeah. cults and stuff would fall under um, Colleen and Nancy's purview. Whereas when I touch down on it in West Memphis three, I'm going to show how that they actually don't exist. Um, but anyways, yeah. So we're almost there. Just one more. Yep. Just as Los Los Angeles, California, uh, was finally getting past serial killers. Kenneth B. Awkward. No, Key? B. Anki. B. Anki. Apparently, I didn't. Bianchi. Apparently, I didn't phonetically spell it properly for Matt to figure that out. B. Bianchi. Kenneth Bianchi and Angela Bueno. And Bueno? Bono? Yeah, that bueno. one. Bueno? Was it Bueno? I don't know. B-U-O-N-O apostrophe S is what you have here. Oh, yeah. Because it's... Arrest? Yeah, Kenneth Bianchi and they Angela Bono's arrest, yes. Yeah. As the hillside... Stranglers. Stranglers. Uh, a new monster emerges. I don't like scripts. Uh, but I tried to make it fun. Yeah, you did. So it, the media plays such a role in the, these cases um, because when you come down to it, they're releasing these stories to the public. They can both be helpful and detrimental to these cases. We are currently seeing it right now in the Delphi case because the media outlets are trying to sue the courts to have the affidavits and subpoenas and search warrants um, made public. Which yeah, released and stuff. Except still for the sealed. fact that they don't understand that the case, even though they have Richard Allen in custody, it's still being investigated. Right? So they can't do that. And we're also seeing the same thing in the uh, Moscow, Indiana quadruple homicide as well with Brian Koberger. They usually don't release anything until after the trial. No, anyway. and they shouldn't because also it, it, it taints be, the jury, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. It taints the jury, especially in this day and age when the media is not just your news and radio outlet and newspapers like they did in 84, but you have Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got TikTok, you've got all of these, you've got podcasts. You know, who who are clamoring for this information, but not understanding that having certain facts about cases get out taints your jury pool. Like, and you mm, need to have, and taint. as much as you hate these criminals, they do have a right to fair trial. So if the evidence is out there and it's tainted the jury, they can get acquitted. You may think that was funny, but it taint. The other thing is, is that if the jury isn't fair then they can they can absolutely get acquitted. You oh, yeah. have to prove that the jury has been fair and yeah, untainted. Exactly. That risks them getting out if it has tainted. Like Yeah. And I keep saying taint. Never I mind. know. <laughs> I'm it's really him. I'm really trying to grow up. I'm sorry. So, I'm a Toys R Us yeah. kid. So the media's back in the seventies and eighties was different than it is today. The term serial killer was just coined in the seventies by the behavioral science unit at Quantico. Um, oh, the media oh. would hear that term and go on a feeding frenzy. Ted Hold Bundy on. Is that would a have, motorcycle or is that Kevin? I don't fucking know. And just ignore it. So Ted Bundy would have the media in the courtroom during his trial. So would Charles Manson. John Wayne Gacy felt the limelight. And budding serial killers in Kansas was only known as BTK. And one in Seattle known as the Green River Killer sparked lots of media attention as well. In fact, BTK still does. And he's been incarcerated since 2005. Anyways, my point is the media can hurt a case more than it can help the case. Releasing information can hurt the investigation and or trial. Working with the police to only release certain facts and allowing law enforcement to control what can be reported on is the utmost importance when it comes to murders. How the media was used in this case stands out. It showed a relatively balanced working relationship between the two detectives in charge. And the news reporters ver um, worked in sequence. So let's hit up this timeline. So on June 28, 1984, in the neighborhood of Glassell Park in Los Angeles, 
79-year-old Jenny Vincow was brutally murdered when a burglar wasn't happy with her lack of valuables. She was nearly decapitated after he slashed her throat viciously. The killer then became aroused and sexually assaulted her body. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, necrophilia is not unheard of amongst serial killers. <clears throat> Ted Bundy. Um, yeah. You have something to say? Yeah, but it's a really inappropriate joke. Okay, better not. All right. That's Kevin, because I can smell it. Yeah, hold on. We, we got a, a Corvette coming in, and it's an old Stingray. Kevin, we're on a timeline here. Oh, I love it. No, that's no. Yes. 67 Corvette. It's a 67 Corvette. Yeah, it's supposed to. Really? Yeah. She's a dirt pig. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Me too, because if I was pregnant, I'd be throwing up right now. But but also, like, like the engine's not, not normal pregnant. either, I don't think. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, Okay, are we good he, to go? He says he goes from here to Niagara Falls and back, and halfway back he has to get another tank of gas. So, yeah. Okay. Anyways, go ahead. All right. In February of 1985, six-year-old Anastasia, and I'm going to exclude her last name um, because she was a minor, was abducted from her bed and was driven to an abandoned place and forced inside a duffel bag so no one would see her. Her abductor let her out once inside in a dirty, smelly place where she would where she would be repeatedly abused. And by abused, I mean sexually. Um, he would stop only when she asked to pee, which he made her do in a dirty sink. When he was finished, he forced her back into the bag, and he would let her outside of a gas station and tell her to call 911. After her, there were many more child abductions, sexual assaults, and kidnappings. Not all were necessarily connected, but most of the descriptions given would match that of his next victim. Any Anything on that for you guys, discussion-wise? Um... So he didn't kill them, he actually let them go? Yeah, he didn't kill these children. He would abduct a bunch of them, sexually assault them, and then let them go. Either way. You mean that the descriptions given by the children match the descriptions given by his next victim? Yeah, which we're just about to get into. All right, all right. Just wanted to double check. So on March 17th, 1985, Dale Okazaki and Maria Hernandez lived in a townhouse in Rosemead. Dale was two weeks away from turning 35. She was born in Hawaii and had two siblings. Dale had just been promoted to work to traffic supervisor, and she had just gotten home and was putting groceries groceries away when her roommate Maria pulled into the garage. A tall, dirty-looking man banged his hand down on the trunk of her car, startling Maria. He raised his gun and shot at her, but she raised her hand, and luckily the bullet ricocheted off her keys. He then entered the house and shot and killed Dale, who was hiding in the kitchen. Maria survived and was able to give Los Angeles County Sheriff's Detective Gil Carrillo a description. Just 40 minutes later, which would now be March 18th, Sai Leon Yu, who was known as Veronica by her friends, was stopped by the killer who pulled her out of her car in Monterey Park and shot to death. The same caliber, a 22, was used to kill Dale and Veronica. Veronica was a 30-year-old student studying at the Art Center College of Design. Lead investigator Gil Carrillo was a former member of the Air Force in Vietnam. In 1971, he became a patrol officer, and 10 years later would be promoted to homicide detective. If you pay attention to the dates, you'll see a quick escalation in the murders and assaults. There's very little cooling off periods, which is as usually seen in serial killers. Stretches of time between kills, and eventually that cooling off period will get shorter and shorter. Not in this case. Nothing is normal when it comes to this case. On March 24th, Oh, sorry. Wow. Wrong date completely. On March 27th, the police were called to the residence of Maxine and Vincent Zazara in Witter. Maxine, who was 44, was... 
Right. Sorry about that. That's we okay. did actually have a little bit of a talk in here. Talking here. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. So Maxine was 44. She was raped, stabbed above the vagina, and had her eyes cut out. Her 63-year-old husband, Vincent, was shot in the temple. The investigation into their murders revealed that the murderer gained entry into their home by using a five-gallon plastic can to climb through the bathroom window. The home was ransacked and approximately $40,000 worth of money and valuables were taken. Police found out that a 22 was used and a size 11 to 12 shoe print was left in the flower bed at the point of entry. On April 10th, different law enforcement agencies around Los Angeles area held an information sharing meeting. This was before VICAP was a thing. <coughs> the agencies would get together and share information on unsolved cases to see if there were any case jurisdiction or cross jurisdictions on cases that match or are similar. And Detective Carrillo suggested that the four murders and some of the attacks on the children were connected. Um, he was laughed at, but crime scene investigator Linda Martinez believed that Gil Carrillo was right, and that the idea of a suspect or the idea of a suspect kidnapping children and murdering adults was unheard of. Arthur Rebel was arrested in suspicion for stalking, but none of the witnesses could identify him. He was just a pervert, but then again, it has to start somewhere. Pretty much any serial killer, if you look at their history, there has a lot of peeping Tom and voyeuristic intent, like intentions. Yes, Colleen. Um, I'm just curious, sorry, because I do know a bunch about stuff, but I'm not co- quite totally up. What is VICAP? Oh, because <laughs> you said it was. I they, did write it down they, in case somebody asked. They me. said they had the meeting before VICAP, and I'm just curious. So VICAP is the Violent Crime Apprehension Program that was started in the FBI by your profiler Robert Ressler. Okay, and that allows them to share information between districts and that. Yes. Okay. Actually, right, was you. it Roy Hazelwood or Robert Ressler? I can't remember. It's either the t- one of the two. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. No, no. Thank you for asking that question, actually, because I wrote it in brackets in case one of you asked it. I remember about uh, when they actually announced that they were putting the system in play. Yeah, and they, we have it here, too. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 I think it was in Canada that I would yeah. have heard about. Yeah. So, on May 14th in Monterey Park, 66-year-old Bill Doy was shot. But while his 56-year-old wife was being beaten and thumb-cuffed, Mr. Doy was able to get to the phone and call for help before succumbing to his injuries. Footprints taken from a child abduction of an 8-year-old girl was discovered at a construction site in fresh cement. Care to guess the size? Uh, 11. 11 to 12. I had to, I checked that fact like 40 times. Okay. Yeah. So Detective Frank Salerno was already a legend in the LA County Sheriff's Office. He was responsible for the arrest of, the arrest of Kenneth Bianchi in 1979. In May of 1985, Salerno partnered up with Gil Carrillo to form a magic duo in this investigation. Yay. In Monrovia on May 29th, two sisters were living together who were viciously attacked. The man entered their home through a rear door and taped up 83-year-old Mabel Bell with electrical tape. She was sexually assaulted and beaten with a hammer. Her 80-year-old sister, Florence Lang, was also beaten with a hammer. He used lipstick oh to draw God. a pentagram on the wall and on one of the legs of the sisters. And he made himself comfortable by having a snack, and he took a boombox. A size 11 to 12 shoe print was found on an alarm clock. Florence survived, but Mabel did not. And the reason they say size 11 to 12 is because different makes of shoes uh, size their shoes different. Yeah, that's true. Very true. You can only get a rough estimate. I mean, eventually they do narrow it down. But And European and North American sizes are completely oh, different. Oh, for sure. For sure. They don't even Pants say size 11. They're like size 35 or something like that. Yeah. They're a high number. E- even clothes. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. 
So on May 30th, 40-year-old Carol Kyle was attacked in her home. Her 12-year-old son forced to watch his mother being raped from inside the closet, but both survived. On June 28th in Arcadia, a 32-year-old school teacher, Patty Higgins, was attacked, sexually assaulted, before slashing her throat and having valuables stolen. On July 2nd, another Arcadian woman, Mary Louise Cannon, age 75, was found beaten and her throat cut. Three days later, on the 5th, in Sierra Madre, 16-year-old Whitney Bennett is attacked while sleeping in her bed with a tire iron. She survived but suffered a skull fracture and a 42-inch laceration. Police found glove marks but no fingerprints. A size 11 to 12 shoe print in blood was found on her pink comforter. Interesting side fact to this, Whitney Bennett actually married Frank Salerno's son. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. I found wow. that out just recently, actually, when I was watching something. And I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of a neat story. Yeah. You might recognize her murder from one of my books. Um, anyways. Yeah. It's at this point they were officially able to link these cases and confirm they have a serial killer. A killer who was not known to anybody. He had no victim preference, no pattern, very little cooling off, and killed by various means. <coughs> and I, I kind of said that earlier when I said that there's nothing in this case that's normal um, because he doesn't have a cooling off period. He seems to escalate quite quickly and you're seeing it happen sometimes just days apart instead of weeks or even months. Well, or- we're already, we're at July 2nd and when was the f- the first murders? I know we did like March the 29th. first murder was like March 17th and then he, wow. and then he only matter of hours killed another person. Yeah, like so, so fast. It's so, like there's almost no cooling off period. Yeah, you're yeah. almost reluctant to say serial killer instead of um, spree killer. Yeah. Yeah, because different. he's moving so he's quickly. Moving he's fast. not taking his time and yeah. Yeah. So let me move to July 6th. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold wait, on. What? So he's a serial killer that's moved into uh, a spree killer's kind of motif. Yeah. So spree killings, if you look at somebody like Andrew Cunanan, um, who killed um, Giovanni. Oh, my God. Was Versace. Okay. Giovanni Versace. When he started, he killed two guys. Moved to kill a rich older man whose wife was out of town, who was a real estate mogul. He killed him, stole his car. Then he moved, killed up Giovanni Versace. He was like on a spree. There was no cooling off period. He killed a, in in between the older man and Giovanna, um, he killed a, what do you call, uh, somebody who walks, watches cemetery grounds. Caretaker. caretaker thank you. Cemetery caretaker. For no reason, just to step, to steal his truck. He was on a spree. He was moving fast. It's almost like he had like this idea, yeah. um, what he wanted to do and how he was doing it. This just seems the same. Yeah. So instead of it being a hobby, it's more of a ride and ride or die kind of. Yeah, get in her a done weird way. Kind of. It's it's got a lot of both. You know, it, definitely a, disorganization for sure. Yeah. Um, but he was. Well, the spree killers are usually uh, very disorganized. I thought they usually plan their stuff out for like months and stuff like that. Whereas serial killers would just like see someone in a park and be like, "Okay, that one looks." A lot of times, serial today. killers will kind of stalk the victims. Mass murders often plan their stuff out like Matt, like somebody who yeah. takes a gun into into a school or shopping mall or whatever. They really plan out, but spree killing is often spur of the moment. They just boom and do it. They're going. Because they have a different motive. They yeah. have an agenda at the end. Like Andrew Cannon wanted to... I don't even know what his agenda was. I yeah. want to say it was to make a big splash. And by killing Giovanni Versace, he just made a big yeah. splash. And the thing about spree killers and mass murderers, you're going to see either suicide or death by cop or suicide by cop. 
um, endings for these people because they don't want to be taken into custody. Yeah. Which makes it hard to study them. Yeah. Um, where serial murderers are too narcissistic and too self-involved to want to get hurt. So they try to evade the law. And this is the same case here, right? With the Night Stalker case. He's got a lot of the same mentality of both serial killers and spree killers. Um, he doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't really have an end game except, I think, in a way, in a weird, sick way to survive on the streets and to facilitate his habit. And we'll see more about that when we touch down on who he is and yeah. how he became this way. Um, but when you look at it, you see somebody like BTK who who could kill somebody and then go four or five years without killing somebody and then go like a decade without killing somebody. I mean, that's that's almost unheard of. That's a huge cooling off period. You know, Bundy would go months. Yeah. Months. John Wayne Gacy would go months. And uh, by the end, though, you will see an escalation where it's murder, 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 murder. You know? And that's usually right where they get sloppy, and that's usually right when they get caught. Yeah, it's their escalation that gets them. Yeah. And and that's what I was trying to touch on, yeah. Yeah. uh, That eventually they do start ramping up their activity and and do it way more frequently than... uh, yeah, I bit my tongue right there than they ever used to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> so that brings us to May 6th, where Sheriff Department Officer John Rodriguez was woken up by his wife, Lorraine, when she heard a window open. John got his gun, and they checked the house. Lorraine found the window open. One, that was never opened before because it had been painted shut. Thankfully, Painted nobody, shut. Painted shut. Thankfully, nobody was Ew. hurt. And then when John called it in... Detectives found footprints in the mud in the flower bed under the window. The prints matched the others. Investigators worked hard to match the shoe prints to a brand of shoes and got lucky. The prints matched a size 11 and a half running shoe made by an uncommon brand called Avia. Based on survivor statements that their attacker was all in black, investigators surmised the shoes would also be black. This led them to discover that on January 9th, 1985, 1,356 pairs of Avia shoes were distributed throughout throughout the United States, but only six were in black and in size 11 and a half. Five pairs were shipped to Arizona and only one to Los Angeles. However, that was as far as they could track the shoes. Hmm. That's actually damn good investigating yep. for the 80s. For 1984? Yes. Yeah, that's insane. <clears throat> that's insane. Yeah. Now, you guys got to remember, like, the internet wasn't huge yet. We still didn't have DNA. No, there there was nothing. Yeah. Like it was DNA it was, was a different time. In its very early stages of infancy. You were only basically any kind of biological fluid you could do would be by typing like you're doing your blood typing, which you know, yeah. you get a common blood type. It could be anybody. You know. Like we're talking about the days where like <laughs> a video game would take ten minutes to load. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just level one. And then when level one was over, you sat there for another 10. It was just how it was, right? To find out about the shoes, they would have had to have sent pictures back and forth with Avia headquarters. Avia would have had to have gone through their marketing, through their purchasing orders. And, they would have had to pull up not everything. Not even just them, but they would have had to go through Nike exactly. and Reebok and uh, all the but shoe brands. They used to keep, and I don't know if they still do, but they used to keep binders yeah. of they information. Well, maybe um, it's now digital. It might be digital, but I remember they used to keep binders where they look through a binder and it would have all a whole bunch of examples of uh, shoe treads yeah. or another binder would have tire treads. Yeah. And and they'd look through that, but they'd have to spend so much time looking through and comparing it. And they'd sit there with these tiny little um, uh, 
magnifying, magnifying lenses, lenses yeah. to look at every little detail. It was really painstaking, a lot of work. That's what we call good old-fashioned legwork for detectives, man. Yep. And solving crimes back before DNA and genealogy was a lot harder. Yeah. So, in Eagle Rock, an attempt to abduct a female victim is foiled when she fights off her her attacker and escapes. He flees in a Toyota, but is pulled over after committing a traffic violation. And since he didn't have a license, the officer had him face down on the car, hands on the hood, for a pat-down. As the officer goes back for to his motorcycle for a citation book, which I don't know why you didn't just have it on you, the suspect hears over the radio of the attempted kidnapping. He draws a pentagram on the hood and then takes off running. Turns out the car was stolen, and when Carrillo and Salerno hears about this, they contact the LAPD about coming to print the car, but we're told the LAPD would do it for them. Joyce Nelson was a fun, happy 60-year-old woman who was a single mother and a loving grandmother. She was a tiny but spunky woman. In a Netflix documentary called Night Stalker, Joyce's son says she had a fear of being raped. On the evening of July 6th, she was attacked and violently murdered in her home. She wasn't raped because Joyce fought him off hard. This pissed him off and he stomped her head in, leaving a footprint. Sadly, it would be her son to find her body. But that same night, crime scene tech Linda Martinez is woken up just after 3 a.m. on the 7th when she hears her name being called through her bedroom window. Her 63-year-old neighbor, Sophie Dickman, had just been raped. Martinez finds her neighbor handcuffed to her bed and calls for help and places the call to Detective Carrillo. Somehow, Sophie was able to drag her bed to the window to yell for Linda. Her attacker gained entry through a pet door, placed a glove in her mouth and a pillowcase over her head, then raped and robbed her. The media starts to get wind of what's going on, and they are clamoring for a story. Meanwhile, Carrillo and Salerno are joined by 200 other officers to work just this case. On July 9th, the dynamic duo were still waning on the LAPD to get back to them in regards to the fingerprints on the stolen Toyota. Whenever they called, the LAPD would give them the runaround. Eventually, the LAPD finally admitted the car had not been printed, so Salerno and Carrillo go down to print the car themselves. But they discover that the car had been stored outside, which oh. compromises oh. the evidence. Oh. oh, brutal, brutal. However, inside the car, the detectives find a business card for a dentist in Chinatown. Dun, dun, dun. So this really, this whole section here shows the incompetence of LAPD versus the sheriff's department, in my opinion. Don't come for me. So Carrillo and Salerno go to the dental office and find out their suspect was there on July 3rd and used the name Richard Mana. And the rest of the information, of course, was fake. Their suspect's dental records showed that he was being treated for an impacted tooth. He would be back. So they set up a two-man surveillance team that would sit inside the office. There was just one problem. The office was in the LAPD jurisdiction. But the LAPD agreed to help where they could and installed an LAPD robbery button at the front desk and the two sheriff's officers were pulled out. But on July 15th, the dentist called Detective Carrillo asking, Hey, where were you? You never showed. We pushed the button repeatedly when the oh. suspect showed up. But no one came. The button had malfunctioned. Oh, God. So comedy of errors. It's a comedy of errors. Oh. And it all comes down to one office. The one, LAPD. The LAPD. Have fucked up, not once, but twice now. So, and it was like the LAPD had jurisdiction over one area of LA, but then the Sheriff's Department had jurisdiction yeah. over another area where most of the murders had occurred. Yeah. So, oh, God. Yeah. So, this is where you're discussing the whole jurisdictional line. Um, a lot of the times, these these um, 
agencies can work together. And what they should have done was allow the sheriff's office to stay in and do their surveillance. That's what I would have done if they could have gotten it. Work together. But that's they how get, you do they it. They get territorial. But they, they that's the thing. Egos get in the way. Territory get in the way. Which is why a lot of the times they hate calling the FBI in. Yeah. Because the they're afraid the FBI is going to take all the credit. Blah, blah, blah. Well, and the sheriff's department, from it's my knowledge. It's not about credit, in my opinion. And, but the sheriff's department, from my knowledge at that point, had a very good street cred rap. Yeah. Um, they, they'd gotten the Hillside Strangler. Uh, their homicide team was known as the Bulldogs. Yeah. So... The LAPD must have felt very intimidated by these oh, for guys. Sure. Like, for sure. Plus, oh my god! Not only that, I believe the corruption in the LAPD was worse than it was in the sheriff's office. Yeah, yeah. So, Ugh. you have to look at it that way too, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I need a drink. Just give me a second. My throat's getting kind of perchy. But for the button to malfunction. Yeah, of course. Right? Oh, of course. <laughs> it's it's the one little thing. Like, yeah. holy. So. Leela and Maxon Keating, or Needing, sorry, lived in the Glendale neighborhood. They were loving parents and grandparents, good church-going people. Max was 68 and always kept candy nearby, including full-size chocolate bars. <laughs> that sounds like my grandma. <laughs> she always had candy and chocolate bars. His 66-year-old wife, Leela, could be found cheering on the Los Angeles Dodgers and the L.A. Lakers, which I think are basketball teams. Yeah, the okay. Lakers are basketball. And I know the Dodgers are baseball. On July 20th, the loving cu- lovely couple were murdered by a 22 caliber. Max was shot and knife and, and had knife wounds and nearly decapitated. Leela's face was shot off. The back pool gate and door were opened. There were no footprints this time. The same night, though, the killer wasn't finished. So he does a lot of multiple killings and attacks in one night. Yeah, where go- like he goes out one night and it's like anyone I see, I'm gonna. Yeah, get. He, he's yeah. very opportunistic. Yeah. yeah. That's in good Sun word. Valley, 32-year-old. Okay, give me a minute. Chaina Wrong. His 29-year-old wife, Sam kid, some kid, and their 8-year-old son would be next. Chain of wrong, and I'm really sorry if I'm butchering that name. I, It's just, I'm not good with ethnic names. But I want to show them there's respect, but I'm just not good at it. Anyways, so Chain of wrong was shot in the head with a 22, and both his wife and son were sexually assaulted. Items were stolen, and the killer took his time in their house. Police determined that he entered through a backsliding door where they found a shoe print and located a second shoe print on the front porch. A perfect avia shoe print. Some kid was able to give a description that matched Maria Hernandez's. On August 6th, Chris and Virginia Peterson were both in bed asleep when they were woken up. Both were shot in the head, thankfully not fatally, and Chris managed to get up and chase the man out of the house. The Petersons were shot with a 25 caliber automatic, which left the shell casing with a red primer. The ammunition was old, as those types of ammunition stopped using red primer. The LA Times were desperate for a story and would get one. When asked about the suspect, Detective Salerno goes off and calls him a coward. <laughs> he would later admit that he shouldn't have done that, but he was pissed off. The LA Times printed the comment and does something completely unethical, in my opinion. They print Salerno's picture along with personal information about him. Ooh. And Salerno, I believe, said this in the documentary that he, that was the only time that he's ever slept with his gun. Wow. So the fear in the city was palpable. Palpable? Palpable. 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 Palatable, palpable, palpable. <laughs> Bloody hell. I don't. The whole podcast is now hinged on us trying to say palpable. 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 Palatable. There you That's go. How well, it tastes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Palpable. Okay. The okay. fear in the city was running rampant. <laughs> Scaries. <laughs> oh, it's so scary. Gun and security systems and guard dog purchases went through the roof. The media called him the Night Stalker. 
Bum, bum, bum. Just a heads up. Law enforcement never gives names to these killers. It's always the fucking media. Yeah. Yeah. Just and and by the way, Makes profilers cool. freaking hate that. Um, it sells papers, man. It does, right? On, oh. and it also by giving the name to to the killer, it makes them feel bigger. Oh yeah, their egos get it, their egos get huge on that one. So that's why profilers would hate that. Well, BTK named himself. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I think the Zodiac named himself. Too. Zodiac named himself. Yeah. yeah. On August 8th, the suspect hit a bit too close to home for Detective Carrillo when the killer struck 15 minutes away in Diamond Bar. Sakina and Elias Abawath would be next. The killer entered through a rear entrance, shot Elias with a 25 auto in the temple, leaving a red primer casing behind, and he sexually assaulted Sakina, telling her not to look at him. She swore to God that she wouldn't, and he demanded, demanded that she swear to Satan. The killer struck around long enough to eat half a honeydew melon. <laughs> I don't know why I put that in there. It just sounds... It, so, it's, yeah. it speaks to his character of his comfortability. Yeah. But it just sounds silly. Elias Abelworth was a 35-year-old computer engineer, and the couple had a three-year-old son. From all accounts, nothing happened to the son, from what I've heard. As soon as, as, soon as Carrillo could, he sent his wife and children away to stay with family as he feared for their safety. And I, I understand... When you're doing a high-profile case like this, especially with a killer who's got no preference of victims, only looking for opportunities, you don't, and you're away trying to find this guy, you're away from your family for long periods of time. You don't want them to be put into the limelight. You don't want them well, to be put into the victim pool either. Wouldn't he also have been scared about what happened to Salerno, getting right? outed, getting his yeah, because outed? Yeah, exactly, right? So this goes ties back to Salerno's picture and his information being printed in the paper. So who's to say that this killer isn't savvy enough? And he's clearly watching the media because all killers watch the media. Yeah. They want to know what they're what they know. Well, I can't get over the fact that one of the the crime techs, her neighbor, was assaulted. Yeah. So that would that make was them, really close. That, that was would like make really them, close. That would make them even more scared. Is this guy watching us? Does he know where we live? Does he know yeah. about us? So you can't blame no. Gil Carrillo to send his family away and I don't blame it either I mean it had not it was not easy for either him or his wife to be that be that separated but we would come to find out it's going to be for a short time we're getting to the to the end of this right but yeah I don't blame them at all so as a way to share case information more effectively the sheriff's department (laughs) sent out tapes featuring Gil Carrillo to other departments to help find any other homicides or home invasions that the killer could be responsible for. This method prevented the spread of misinformation that can happen. You know, you get that game of telephone, Mm -hmm. you know, he said this and no, she said this. That makes sense. So tapes. But it turns out the killer was on the move. So on August 18th, San Francisco police inspector Frank Falzone was called to a scene of a homicide assault and home invasion. Matt, you're not allowed to laugh. You're not allowed to laugh. I have the mic, so he can't. Good. You're not allowed to laugh. <laughs> okay. Six, 66-year-old Peter Pan. Yes, I know his name is Peter Pan, but I assure you he's not a lost boy. She's laughing. Colleen's laughing and Matt's not. I called that wrong, didn't I? <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Oh, sorry I'm choose. sorry. I should not laugh. The poor guy. I'm yes. sorry. I'm very Peter, sorry. Poor Peter Pan. I can't even do it now. I'm sorry. I'm so oh. sorry. Okay, so if you hadn't have told me that, I probably wouldn't have laughed. I know. But no, you still would have. I pro- Peter was shot and killed while in bed. His wife, Barbara, was raped and shot in the head, but she would survive the attack. A 25 automatic 
red primer casings were found, along with satanic symbols carved into the walls. The killer ate food out of the fridge, puked in the kitchen, and masturbated on the living room carpet. Oh. You know, there's a toilet for that you could just spunk into. Yeah. On August 24th, Bill Carnes and Inez Erickson, both 29, were attacked in their Mission Veo home. Bill was shot in the head, and Inez was sexually assaulted, and he told her he was the Night Stalker. But there was a witness. James Romero was in his garage when the 1976 orange Toyota station wagon pulled up. Romero was able to give a partial plate number to the police. When the police found the car, it came back as stolen. But this time, they were able to lift a print off the rearview mirror. An APHIS didn't exist yet in 1985, so they had to wait for a suspect to compare it to. APHIS is the, like... Automatic fingerprint identification okay. system. Okay, all right, all right. Up next, in part two, we will cover the police investigation that leads to his arrest, the issues between the L.A. Sheriff's Office and San Francisco Police Department, background on our killer, as well as court and some admirers. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. What's your question, Colleen? Okay. Do they ever find out why he switched guns? Because no. he was twenty two caliber and then he switched to the twenty five with the red casings. I was just curious if they ever know why he I switched guns. I never found that information. Okay. That, for some reason, that one just caught me. So, You know what I bet it is? He ran out of ammo for old guns he had. Oh, possibly, yeah. And switched to the other one that still had ammo. Yeah, okay. That makes more sense. That because, makes sense. Because if it's old ammo, you're not going to know when to trace that from. Mm-hmm. And because it's so old, they're probably not going to have records of who bought it. He might not have wanted to go into a gun shop and show his face because at this point, weren't there were there were a number of police sketches out there and descriptions of him. I'm going to place the police sketches next to his actual photo on our Facebook page after the release of part yeah. two to show you that police sketches are, are so not close oh, to the Oh, they are. The police sketches. And I'm not so even hard. just going to show you Ramirez. It's, I'm it's, going to show you different police sketches of different serial killers that don't fucking match. But, you know, it's so hard, though. <laughs> Think about it. Like, we go out, we're driving a car, we see somebody drive next to us, rear end us, they drive off. We're asked to identify them. How much do we really remember? And human memory is so failed. Like, it is. So failed. So trying to remember facial features and then describe them to somebody to draw them. I couldn't do it. Doing a facial reconstruction or facial um, artist composite for the police, as well as being on the witness stand or being an eyewitness to things, is comparable, in my opinion, to having your lie detector test being polygraphed because it it's subject to change because yeah. you can beat these polygraph Oh, yeah. Tests. So easy. Super easy. So easy. And your memory, like you said, is not necessarily relied upon. And because it's 1984, they're still probably doing artist renditions mm-hmm. of yeah. of stuff like that. So for each one of these cases, you would have a new sketch being done. So can you imagine well, how many sketches Remember the Delphi case? They yeah. were still doing artist renditions of the Delphi suspect. And they did two yeah. artist renditions of the Delphi. Two, which, by the way, the first one that was released was the second sketch. They said that wasn't the right sketch, so they re- released the first sketch, second. That sec- second sketch, which was originally the first one, doesn't look anything like Richard Allen. Yeah. But that first sketch they released that they said wasn't the real yeah. sketch looked more like Richard Allen. That, that, that's why you have to do multiples, right? You have yeah. to be able to compare to comparisons, you know what yeah. I mean? So they kind of got that really fucked up in my opinion. But you know what? Police aren't perfect. No matter what, police are not perfect. Yeah. 
and their investigation can be as close to perfect as you like, it's never going to be perfect because nothing is. You yeah. just have to make it stand up in court. There, there was one aspect I know that that many of the and I have no idea if if you touch on this, but many of the witnesses made one comment about him that was really interesting, that his teeth were rotten. Yeah, and I will comment that okay. about about him, and I mean his dental. Yeah, because um, I remember that in part two. But I I remember Night Talker Nights Night Talker Night Stalker <laughs> did cause a huge panic. I I do remember seeing the the news flashes of it when my parents watched the news, and it was a huge and that's panic. That's up here. That's like when up you here. Think about it, you know. Yeah. Any serial killer cases in the states, there's a reason why it becomes fascinated to to the nation or even outside of the nation, like here in Canada, especially in Canada where we have very little serial killers. Um. I mean, don't get me wrong. We have serial killers. Yeah, but we just we don't, don't have as many. We don't have as many, and our history is a lot less skewed than the states. Um, it is a fascination because, we, like, why? Yeah. Who? The the other thing are they that... going to do next? Like, who are they going to hit next? Why did they do this? What is their motive? Is there a motive? Yeah. And that's when the behavioral issues from the profilers come in. They the can other... really shed a lot of light on it. I remember the other thing that really caught on with it was that he kept leaving behind the pentagrams. And and upside down crosses. It was the satanic symbols he was leaving behind, which really scared people because they were already scared about the whole satanic panic thing. I remember that. Like, I I remember I wasn't Dungeons and Dragons was absolutely forbidden. Yeah, it I was, remember that. Yeah. It was like you could not do it was pure satanic. You could not do it. You if you knew someone who played it, you had to report them immediately. Like like it was you couldn't go near the kids who played it. Like, yeah, it huge. And I was in Bible Belt, Alberta. So, I mean. Anything you might satanic. as well have been in Arkansas in 1993. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so that was one of the big fears with it. And and also the fact that there was no, it was anybody. It could be children. It could be men, women. It could be age didn't matter. Age you could matter. be Asian, Hispanic, white. The only white. thing that I've noticed is that a lot of his victims are seniors or children, which are obviously the more vulnerable, which yes. states to the fact that he's a weaker person. Yeah. That he doesn't have the ability to fight off a strong man. Very few of these victims are strong males. Yeah. And the ones that are seem to have survived. Yeah. It would definitely play into uh, a harder thing to profile because he didn't have a specific set target as a lot of them did, right? Yeah. Usually they either preyed on the elderly or they preyed on children. Unfortunately, most likely children. Yeah. Um, my thing is when I was going through all my profiling books for this case, <laughs> there was very little on him because how do you profile somebody who's so fucking all over the map? The closest thing I came to was, oh, he's a disorganized offender. The The one thing I remember was that he liked to face them. So like for the for um, Hernandez, the one who held up the keys. keys yes. yes. Like. He came up behind her and he could have easily just shot her from behind, but he hit the car yes. to make her turn around and look at him. And he pulled the girl, the other girl out of Veronica, out of her car yeah. and made her look at him. He liked to see the fear in their faces. And that is what gets these serial killers off. Yeah. And he was really big on, he wanted to see their faces. They are called power assertive. Yeah. And, and there's, um... I know that there is a fetishism around that, that you want to see the 
the fear mm-hmm. in someone that gets people off. Yeah. Um, what what I do find fascinating though is he abducted these children, horribly assaulted them, but he didn't kill the children, um, unless they were with their parents or whatever. But he generally returned the children. Um, that one I find fascinating. He would kill anybody else, but. But yeah, you're seeing a pattern too at the beginning, right? Where a lot of it was okay. But he had that Jenny Vincal who was older, 75, I believe. But then he went through a period where he just abducted kids. <laughs> Didn't matter what gender, by the way. Yeah. Um, he would adopt, abduct them, and rape them, and assault them, and then release them. And I don't know if it's because maybe he felt like he, because he never killed any kids. Right. He only assaulted them. He never killed kids. I don't know if it's some kind of stupid personal code oh, so that he, he never had. killed a kid never killed them which kid um, oh that years years that's, and years yeah later. yeah okay. One, it was his very very first kill okay yeah yeah we'll yeah. get to that i think yeah. in the second part so but um, no all the other ones because it didn't, didn't come him. to light until oh, he nine? was on trial it was yeah it was much later yeah, yeah. 06 09 something like that yeah it came to light that yeah. he was connected to that but yeah he only killed one but um i think Maybe from that experience, killing the kid wasn't a satisfactory. Yeah, satisfactory. To him. Actually, that's a good point. Maybe he learned from that when it didn't provide him what he needed. No, he got more aroused by seeing the fear in, in the, the faces. Adults. No, in the faces of the children that he would later abduct. Yeah, and that's what he went with. And but because after that, he never killed another yeah. kid. He would but assault he was, them. He was, but he so, didn't kill them. He was so brutal in his oh, murders. He was fucking brutal. He was unbelievably brutal in his murders, like stomping on heads, like yeah. bashing. Oh, he was horrible. He was unhinged. He yeah. was an unhinged completely. Person. And I don't want to say that there's a psychological um, uh, issue here because a lot of serial killers, you know, you don't want to say, oh they're psychic or psychotic or blah 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 or they're fucking crazy. Well, they might be in some way, but they're not. They know right from wrong, and that is the legal definition of being insane. Is not knowing right from wrong. So you cannot claim that you were suffering from insanity because you can clearly know that you know right from wrong. That's why you can't get away with the insanity defense. Insanity is different than suffering a mental illness. You can suffer yeah. a mental illness and not be insane. Oh, yeah. Doesn't doesn't make like that one easily. So he definitely, I would say, <laughs> maybe he suffered a mental illness, but he was not insane. He knew the difference. When we get into his background, there's going to be some things that come out that might explain the change in his personality. But we'll get to that in part two. Yes, we will. So uh, this has been quite a graphic episode. Um we do apologize if you're squeamish, but if you are, you probably left by now. Um, part two is not as graphic. Part part two is not as graphic. We got the icky stuff out of the way. Yeah. So uh, this one's going out almost immediately, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, happy birthday. I don't know. If, if it's <laughs> if it's your birthday, happy birthday. We're sorry we had to bring you down. Anyways, uh, you guys take care, and we'll see you on the next one. Have a good night.